0: If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the Gospel of John. To the Gospel of John. Turn with us to chapter 6, verse 35 in chapter 6. We want to thank Brother Curley for for standing in last week. Uh, We did have a good time. Everybody come back safely. Uh, all three cabins, All, as far as I know, everybody came back safely. No one was hurt, and we, we give God praise and glory for that. Uh, chapter 6 of the Gospel of John, verse 35. While you're turning there, for, just for a mo- couple moments, imagine, if you will, just imagine. Jesus is in a business here in 2024. He's here in, in a business. He's starting this business of making disciples. He recommends his apostles to lead in this business. Like most big businesses today. He uses an. Consulting firm. To vet. These recommended apostles. For leadership in this business. As the consulting firm has done their due diligence. They send a letter to Jesus. If a consulting firm was going to truly vet the disciples for leadership in a disciple-making business, I would imagine the letter returning to Jesus would sound a little like this. Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you picked for managerial positions in your new organization all of them have now taken the battery of tests that we, and we have not only run tests through our computer and arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant the profiles of all the tests are included and you will want to study each of them carefully As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. Much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given due to staff consultation, and it comes without any additional fee. It is the staff's opinion that most of your nominees lack in background, education, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have a team concept. We recommend that you continue searching for persons with managerial expertise and proven capability. Simon Peter, he's emotionally unstable and given defense fits of temper. Andrew is absolute, has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas, he demonstrates a questioning attitude, and that tends to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau has blacklisted Matthew. As a matter of fact, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Definitely have radical leanings. And they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of your candidates, however, shows great promise. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. He meets meets people well. He has a keen business mind and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles, they're self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. You're wondering, why are you reading this? This letter reveals a hard truth. The hard truth is that the world views a disciple or what the world views as a disciple is not always a disciple. A person can speak the right words and eloquently give a testimony, but that doesn't make him a disciple. A person can do the right things, but that doesn't make him a disciple. A, disciple. a person can hang out in the right places, but that doesn't make him a disciple. As a matter of fact, being a believer in Jesus Christ does not make one a disciple. So let's get to a hard truth. Many believers today are asking, what does God want from me? What does God want me to do? What is my purpose in the kingdom of God (laughs) well I'm glad people ask this but truth is that when, when new believers are asking this question or when people who have been saved for some time and they're asking this question we must come to the realization that the church is failing and I'm not talking about buildings, buildings can't fail we the church we're failing when people are asking the question what is God's plan for me we haven't told them we haven't made it clear for them to know God's plan for them well it's a, it's a two fold plan and scripture reveals this plan it's not rocket science it's not hard to understand but it's something we should all grasp Now, we're about to embark on either a 10 to 12 sermon series, a two-part sermon series. The first part we're going to focus on beginning today. We'll go for about seven messages. Well, seven to 10. We'll see. And we're going to focus on being a disciple. We'll cover the second part of what God wants us after this. We got to get this. First, if we don't get this, then there's no good of going to the next step. You know, as we go through these seven messages, seven to ten, depending on what God does. My hope and my prayer, genuinely, is that each one of us will do a, a simple assessment of our walk with Christ. I'm not assessing yours At this point, you don't assess mine and don't assess one another's. Assess your own and determine, am I a believer? And that's as far as I've gone. Or am I a true disciple of Jesus Christ? I I think at the end of these seven messages, seven to ten messages, we should have a grasp of where we fall in this. And we should want to become what God would have us to become. Let's look here in today's text. Because in today's text, it is important for us to understand what a disciple is. And I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible today. The Bible says in verse 35 of chapter 6, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life the one who comes to me will not be hungry and the one who believes in me will never be thirsty this is God's holy word God we thank you we thank you that you sent your son into this sin cursed world and we thank you God that he is the true bread of life we thank you that, we, that he comes to us And because he comes to us, God, we can be filled to where we'll never hunger or thirst again. So, God, we pray that for the remaining moments that you would encourage us, that you would speak to us, that you would minister to each and every one in this building today. And, God, may, may the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we look in today's text, I know when you think of making disciples or disciples making disciples, you're probably wondering, what does Jesus being the bread of life have to do with this? This isn't the typical message you would find in this I Am statement. However, I believe it does speak to us about being disciples. When we get to this part of the text, we can go back to the last time in which we preached here where we spoke about how the disciples had discovered during a storm that Jesus is the answer to all the temptations and all the trials that they face in this life. Jesus had just blessed one lunch and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children. He sent his disciples away and he spent time with God. I don't know if I stress this enough, but he spent six to nine hours with the Lord. I've said this over the years that I've been here. Jesus' public prayers throughout scripture are very short. But when he spent time with the Father alone, they were lengthy. Some went for days, some went for hours. He just spent time with God until it was time for him to be about his father's business that should be a model for all of us that in our public prayers they don't have to be long I I, I don't understand why born again believers have trouble praying public prayers because public prayers don't have to be but a few words but I hope when you get along with the Lord (laughs) that you're spending time quality time with him Not just praying and telling him what you want and what's going on in your life, but also seeking what he wants for you in this life. Here, after six to nine hours of spending with the Lord, he looks out and he can see three miles out into the ocean. And he sees these boys struggling. The same ones he had sent six to nine hours earlier crossed to the other side. They're struggling. They have a six to seven mile journey and they're only halfway there after six to nine hours. The wind is strong against them so he begins to walk toward them. The Bible tells us (laughs) that once he climbed into the boat, the wind ceased. As a matter of fact, when we look here in John's gospel, in verse 21, what we find (laughs) is that as soon as he got in the boat, they reached where they were going. (laughs) They were three miles out, but all he had to do was just get in the boat, and there they were on land. Now, as they are here on land the next day, the people were looking for Jesus. They were looking for him. They were looking for his disciples. And today's text demonstrates what we can recognize when we begin to develop as a disciple. What we recognize is the immaturity of believers. As we begin to develop as disciples, we can recognize immaturity in believers. Jesus quickly recognized why the people were seeking him. We see that right there in verse 26 and 27. Why were they seeking him? Their motives were unpure. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. They saw enough that should have convinced them who he was. But that ain't why they were seeking him. They were seeking him because they had eaten the loaves and, and they had been filled. By Jesus saying, truly, truly, he is saying, listen and listen good. I know what you're up to. I know what you're doing. You're not fooling anyone. He knew their motives for seeking him were corrupt. In their minds, the Messiah was... Uh, was to give manna from heaven to meet the needs of the people just as Moses had done in the wilderness to the, with the Israelites. But they were expecting the Messiah to do even more than what Moses had done. They could not understand why. Jesus had fed them. He had proven that he, he may be the Messiah to them. And, and then all of a sudden he's gone away from them. And they couldn't understand this. <laughs> You know, we are quick to say, I don't understand why they wouldn't just believe until tragedy hits our lives. When it comes to our home, we're often like these, where's Jesus at? Why did he leave me? When the only reason you're standing is because he's right there by you. They couldn't understand why he had left and when he had just fed these 5,000 men plus women and children with one boy's lunch and took up 12 baskets of fragments and that should have been enough that they would have just sought to worship him and nothing else. Their lives at that moment should have been so devoted to him that they didn't even think about their own lives but only thought about him. Instead, they came seeking to get what they wanted, you know, in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts, we find that Stephen was stoned, and the disciples in the church of Jerusalem they were scattered out of per- because of persecution. And Philip went down to Samaria, and he began proclaiming Christ to people, and and, and he what. Was a, people observed Philip and they watched the way he lived his life and they listened to the words that he said and they watched him cast out unclean spirits and, and many were healed that were paralyzed and lame because of the power of God working in him a sorcerer by the name of Simon had became famous in this region and, and but he, he heard Philip's gospel message and he believed that he was baptized when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people in Samaria had received the gospel of Jesus Christ they went to Samaria to, to pray that the Holy Spirit would, would come upon them For they were baptized in Jesus' name only. And as Peter and John prayed and laid hands on people, they received the Holy Spirit. And Simon, he saw this. He recognized what was taking place. And he offered money to the apostles. Asking, give me this same authority. So I can lay hands on people. And they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He insulted the work of the Holy Spirit. Simon thought he could buy only what God could give. His motive for wanting this gift was purely for himself. Peter acknowledged that and he said, "May your silver perish with you because you thought you sh- you could acquire the gift of God with money. You have no part or, or share in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart be forgiven you." Now Peter didn't say he wasn't saved. The Bible says he was a believer. But he had impure motives for what he was doing. You know, too often (laughs) men seek the Messiah, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, impurely. What I mean is they're not seeking him to acknowledge who he is and to worship him in spirit and in truth and to serve him wherever he leads them to serve. Often people will seek Jesus for what they can get out of him. You believe people are interested in themselves and the truth of the matter is God's more interested in us than you or I could be interested in ourselves. And he knows what we need. He knows what's best for us. You know, what we'll do Sometimes we we'll get mad at our children because our children won't follow our advice or our advice because they feel like that we're just too old. We don't understand. We're behind the times. We're, we're naive to what's going on today. But we're wanting to protect them. And we get angry when, we, when they won't follow. Why do you think God does? Or how do you think he feels with his children that he knows best for? They won't follow him. If we have no desire to honor Jesus as Lord of our lives, serve him and to make him known to this world, then we're not developing as a disciple. If that is not in our heart and that is not our desire, we're just a believer. You know, the difference in a believer and a disciple is a disciple will follow him. In all the mess that Peter was, Peter was a disciple. Why? Jesus said, follow me. Peter left everything. He left his own business to follow Jesus. James and John, they left their father and their business and followed him. The difference in a believer and a disciple, a believer can believe in Jesus Christ. And they believe that he is their savior. But a follower will make him Lord of their life. And a follower is a disciple. You know, too often we... We seek the blessing rather than ways to serve the blesser. We want him to satisfy our hunger in this world and, and the, with the possessions of the world. Like the men in the text, we seek food that's perishing. Believers often seek God to bless them in this world with things that will perish, that have no kingdom value, such as pleasure, comfort, recognition, honor, position, power, and fame. Ecclesiastes says this in 6 and 7 all a person's labor is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. Revelation 18 and 14 says the fruit you longed for has left you, and all things that were luxurious and splendid have passed away. And people will no longer find them. Yes. All the pleasures of this world will pass away. You don't believe that? Look in the mirror. And then go look at old pictures. I guarantee you every one of us is getting older. We're not getting younger. And if we're getting older, we're getting weaker. Because each day we live on this side is a day closer to the grave. Yes. Believers, we want to ensure that they go to heaven. So they believe in Jesus so they can go to heaven. Once they have accepted Him as their Savior, they feel that's all they need. They never feel the need to develop into a an intimate relationship with Jesus. They've received the blessing. Oh, I'm on my way to heaven. I've got eternal life. Yet they, they have no desire to get to know the blesser that gives them heaven. They have no desire to spend quality time in prayer, time listening for his voice. They have no desire to spend time in his word. They have no desire to take the very word of God and apply it to their lives so that the world can see him in them. Yes, Jesus may be their savior, but in those situations, he's far from being Lord of their lives. You know, a true disciple recognizes this. And he'll want the help. He'll want the help. My pastor told me one time, he said, boy, you know, around chapel, that's what we call each other, boy. Boy, I'll help you, but you got to let me. I can't help nobody that's not going to let me. I don't care what walk of life you're in. I don't care where you're at in this life. You won't let me. I can't help you. Y'all know that word, don't you, hip? Yeah, they use that around prospect. Yeah. But you know what else a disciple will recognize? A disciple will recognize not only the immaturity of believers, but they'll recognize the maturity of disciples, the maturity of other disciples. You know, Jesus declares here in verse 35, he is the bread of life. Aren't you glad he's the bread of life? I'm so glad he's the bread of life. In verse 35, the people ask for the bread of God. There in verse 34, they ask for the bread of God. For the first time, they call Jesus in verse 34, Lord. It appears they are ready to submit their lives to him to be Lord over their lives. Serving him every day. These people... These people were prepared to deny themselves to the point to where they'd take up their cross daily and follow Jesus. They requested that Jesus always give them this bread. <laughs> this bread of life. The people wanted a permanent provision of the bread. What I know is that the Bible is awfully clear about this. Salvation that is truly partaken in the bread of life is a permanent experience. The problem is (laughs) that all I know is that I know I've been saved. I know that. You don't have to believe me. I know that. And there are people who live their lives a certain way that when I see them and I spend time with them, I believe also that they're on their way to heaven, that they have truly been saved. But there, there are people that will make a profession of faith that are so far from God as they were the day before they ever made that profession of faith. And we want to think, well, they were saved and then they're lost. No, that's not the case. They just never were saved. So here, what we know is that salvation is a permanent experience. It's a once and for all experience. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He is stating that he is the true bread from God. The bread that Moses gave the children of Israel perished after a day. They could only gather enough for that day. If they gathered enough for the next day, it would just be filled with worms. They couldn't eat of it. It was only good for that day. But good news is, Jesus is the true bread of God. His blood, it'll never lose its power. The same power it had at the cross, it has today. His grace is sufficient even today. His mercies are renewed each and every day. And the gift of eternal life through faith in his life, death, burial, and resurrection is just that. It's eternal. It's eternal. Thomas Guthrie best describes eternal life this way. He says, he states, eternal life is deliverance from eternal death. Deliverance from the curse of breaking God's law. Deliverance from the doom of a burning hell. Eternal life is eternal blessedness. The pardon from sin's guilt and freedom from sin's power. The pleasures of a pure heart and enjoyment of peace with God. Joy without any bitterness. Riches without wings. Health that never sickens. Life that never dies. And the glory hereafter that never fades away. Perfect holiness in the likeness of our Savior. And perfect happiness in the bosom of God. That's what eternal life is. You know what the more mature disciple will understand? he understand that Christ, that in Christ, his life is full. His life is full in Christ. He has eternal life not in himself, but in Christ. So he no longer craves the world to satisfy him. He knows that Christ satisfies not only his hunger, but also his thirst. What this signifies is that he has found that Christ is enough to meet every need he may have. So disciples don't worry about what they cannot control because Jesus is enough and he is in control. Their desire is not to get their way in this world, but to live for Christ. Their desire is not to sow discord, but to build unity in the body of Christ. Their desire is not to do their own thing, but to please the Father in everything they do. Their goal is not heaven. The goal is an intimate relationship with Jesus. For Jesus and only Jesus can satisfy the hunger of the soul of man. Heaven is a gift that comes from knowing the giver. Yes. And the giver is Jesus. If heaven is your end goal, you're not a disciple. Right. If having an intimate relationship with Jesus is the end goal, then you're on your way to developing as a disciple yeah I've got loved ones in heaven and I desire to see them but more than I want to see daddy more than I want to see my brother and you can't imagine how much I want to see them I want to see Jesus because he changed my life and he's given me eternal life Matthew 5 and 6 says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness For they will be satisfied. Disciples worship and serve Christ. Not for what he will receive or what she may receive. They worship and serve Christ because he saw them in their need and he came to them. He left the splendor of glory he came to this sin cursed world he took upon himself this earthly flesh and he lived on earth as a man and although he was equal with God he submitted himself to become obedient to the father even to the point of taking our sins upon himself and paying our penalty for what we had done he died in our place so that we can live for all eternity When death and the grave thought they had victory because he was buried on the third day, he was raised. Conquered death, hell, and the grave. And he is worthy of our devotion. He is worthy of us giving our lives to him. He is who we hunger and thirst for. A true disciple's hunger and a thirst for Jesus. So we have to ask the question. Is my soul hungry for Jesus? Is my soul hungry for Jesus? As they come to lead us in the song of invitation. Maybe, just maybe, there's someone here today as every head's bowed and every eye's closed. You find that you're hungry, that your soul is thirsty. Maybe you found that you are far from God. And you're not sure that heaven will be your home, for you know you have no intimate relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you're in a backslidden condition or you're lost, I want you to know your soul is hungering and it's thirsting for Jesus. I want to invite you to come to him and follow him. Before you could ever become a disciple, you first must be a believer. So let me ask, do you believe? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you believe that he is the savior of the world? Do you believe that Jesus loves you Do you believe that he will forgive you and save you? If you believe this, why not come today? As they begin to sing, come today and surrender your life to him. Let the day be the day that you become a believer in Christ. And let it begin your life as a disciple that God is calling you to be.